Please be seated. It is indeed a pleasure to be back among you once again. I think it's been well over five and a half years since I last worshipped with you as such in the morning. We've been back a number of times for the home going of some of our brothers and sisters in Christ and have uh, always enjoyed the fellowship and missed the fellowship. And so I have this morning, after a little over five and a half years in Otisville, uh, a young man preaching who is um, 26 years old, just graduated from the Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids. Um, he and his wife moved into the parsonage on Thursday, and uh, he will be preaching at 11 o'clock uh, this morning. And because he was coming, when Pete asked me if I would fill the pulpit on this particular Sunday, uh, I was very pleased and honored that I could do this. It's, it's a pleasure being back among you. And it seems in many ways that nothing has changed here at all. Um, especially in the choir. Um, they all look the same as when I, when I left. I am not the same, of course. I am much older than I was. This is probably the fifth or the sixth time in those years that I have been somewhere else other than Otisville. I'm one of those guys that has to be there, and, uh, and I am greatly relieved now that we have an assistant who shall become in the fairly near future, my co-pastor and then senior pastor, and I shall receive the title of Pastor Emeritus as we pass the torch from one generation to another, actually down about three generations, it looks like. I remember in years past, and that's all that I remember as a boy because I was always here among this congregation, and coming to the worship, first in Kersley Gymnasium and then on, uh, in the new building on uh, Richfield and Genesee Roads. All the, the wonderful times of both Mother's Day and Father's Day, but this is Father's Day, and so we want to talk about that. But all the wonderful people that I knew, it was a wonderful thing, and many of you that are my age or thereabouts, uh, Remember that we grew up uh, mentored by the greatest generation. And many of those men that I had as my mentors, as my examples in church and in worship, um, often still come to my mind, perhaps even more so as, as time goes on. And I, I could not help but think as these things were going through my mind of, of men like Kelso Sowers, some of you remember him when I came back here in 86 after having been gone for a length of time. He, I remember he was still here. I didn't think any of those people, I thought they were old at the time I was here and uh, in the 50s. But, um, and he came walking down, sat up here somewhere in the front, I think, as somebody might remember. And, um, but I remember him as, as a, one of the leaders in the church and Remember, an illustration has nothing to do with what I'm saying, but it, it has something to do with the type of people 
uh, and the, of that greatest generation. In Kelso Sorrows, I, I, I think he has relatives here somewhere, but uh, Kelso would, once a year the men would have the uh, service, and, and uh, one of the men would get up and preach. I don't think they called it that, but he would get up and talk, and some of you may remember that. And he said, he told about going out golfing. I knew nothing about golfing. And uh, about this big ant hill. Do you remember that? It's a big ant hill. And, and they were, the ants were out walking around one day, and all of a sudden this big orb come bouncing down and landed right in the center of the, of the, um, of the ant hill. And so they went up, being leaders, they went up and looked this orb all over, this white ball, trying to figure out what it was. And then all of a sudden, there was a swish, and part of the anthill was just torn away by this club that came through there. And then there was another one, then there was another one, and another one, and ants went flying all over the place. And it was... A very worrisome thing, of course. And finally the one ant said to the other ant, if we're going to survive, we better get on the ball. And I don't know, I don't know why I remember that, but, I, but the point was well taken. If you knew Kelso, he had, uh, of that greatest generation, he had those men who, who had that grin upon their face and, and a tremendous sense of humor. We're looking at fathers today. I, I had the privilege of, in my house, uh, having a, a, a suite that, that we can have guests into, so you're all, you're all welcome to come if you need a room. But, uh, and, and I had the privilege of being working with Steve Obie and, uh, on, uh, on bringing uh, our first assistant pastor here, at least in my lifetime here, was Craig Van Bibber. And Craig Van Bibber and his family came, stayed in that suite. In fact, they came several times and stayed in that suite. In fact, when they moved here and we didn't have a place for them to live, they came and lived there in that suite in our house. And it was, it was a blessing to have them there with their two daughters. And then later on, after he went to Marshall, Texas, we needed another assistant pastor here. And so uh, Pete Scribner came up with his family. He had a, uh, Craig had two girls, he had a boy and has a boy and a girl. And Pete stayed there, and every time he came up, I think it was two or three times, they stayed there, and then they found a house, and, and uh, always there, were there in the house with us. And then in the last two months, uh, a man named Spencer Snow, um, who is our new assistant pastor, came and stayed there on four long weekends, at least, yeah, four long weekends. I say all that, I'm going to call that the assistant pastor's incubator from now on. I put pictures of them. I, have, I got a hold of Craig and said, if you're here this year, come on over and, um, and uh, we'll get some pictures taken up there. But the thing that I learned from all three of these men were that they were good fathers. They were all excellent fathers. I, you know two of them, you don't know you don't know uh, Spencer yet, but I'm sure you will meet him. And, and these are men who loved their children, loved their wives, took care of their children, helped out with taking care of them, and, um, and did not 
did not need when they they had the sensibility to see when the wife needed some help, the mother needed some help, and jumped in uh, even before the daggers came. So they under, they understood they understood understand well. And yet, this was a type of fathers that I knew when I was growing up that mentored me. And so we have the the term father today. And somewhere in your bulletin, you've got a little sheet. We do this every every week. At I started a couple years ago in in Otisville. It keeps me on track. It keeps you on track. Now, if this would help you, filling it, pushing, put filling in the little slots there. That's fine. If it distracts you, don't use it. But this is what we're going to cover today. Now, Mick, where's Mick? Mick didn't tell me. There he is. He didn't tell me how long to preach. And uh, but I but I remember well because I went here for twenty some years that we always get out promptly at noon. So I will, I will, and I can see the I can see the clock. That's at the nine thirty nine. I think it says something. Note number one in here. Let's start with that. We read about our Father. Luke, Luke 12, 27 to 32 talks about the kingdom of God. And, and, and he sums this up. All the nations seek things. We're all worried and concerned about everything. And he said, for all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you have need of these things. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In order for me to understand the Father, I have to know something about fathers and what they are. Note number one in here. In the study of God's word, we define things by comparison. We do that with everything. None of us read the Greek, at least fluently. And we would only know what the Greek, the New Testament, was translated from. We would only know what the Greek said if we understood what the Greek's words meant and what they meant to the people listening at that point. These are really word pictures. And then we, in translating things, we must find an equivalent word in the English for what the Greek was, as we understood what that Greek word meant to those who heard it at that particular time. The English translators in your King James Bible translated the words in the book of Revelation for the lampstands as candlesticks, when indeed candles were not known in John's world when Revelation was written. Lampstands is the proper translation. It's not wax that fed the lamps. It was oil, which is representing the Holy Spirit. Now, is that a deal breaker? That means we tear that page out. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Is it a stumbling block to believers? Not so. Of course not. Note number two. But there are words that are crucial and major, and one is Father. You have to get that one right. Here is a word that, first of all, pictures God and gives us knowledge of God that is essential to our peace and our comfort. If you don't know the Father, you're in trouble. And, and, and the Father is there to bring peace and comfort and to oppose anxiety and fear. 
Satan's lie to Eve in that she was going to be made wise and fulfilled was but a ruse in order to destroy God's image bearer, which was mankind. We know the book of Genesis. We know the Revel. I mean, we know Genesis three very well. They all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that wicked one, Satan, has been active in destroying the very picture of God, which communicates in our day and in all of history, love and compassion and protection and provision and fellowship and mercy and grace and care, which is the Father. Hopefully, in some measure at least, each one of us as fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, fathers that we radiate these particular things. The term father, number three, is used about 2,000 times in the Bible. Not always referring to God, but referring to one of the attributes of fatherhood. That is, originator is one of them. And even Satan himself is given the title of father as he is the father of lies, the originator. But the picture of God, the father, is in the man he created in his image and entrusted to us his image in his creation. Let us make man in our image. Go out there and name, discover, name the the, the animals, discover all that I have created. I created it for you, but he created us for him. And even in our fallen condition, we still are reflective of God the Father. As the moon and all of its pockmarks uh, upon it from, uh, from uh, uh, crater, all the craters from, that are on it, it still reflects the sun, and so must we. So our Father's Day, young as a national holiday, is a time to look through and by and past man's corrupted image and see God as Father. The very best of fatherhood should help us picture what God desires for us. Number four, God desires for you to see him as Father. Jesus desires to share the Father with us. That's why he came. And he came so that we might know and see him through his eyes and his life. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father knows what you have need of all through the New Testament. We keep finding this. Fear not, the Father's given you the kingdom. The Father has prepared a place for you. The Father has a table for you. He has a kingdom for you. He has a groom for you, even as we are collectively in Christ, the body of Christ, or the bride of Christ. Most earthly fathers, and Jesus said this, most earthly fathers give good things to their children. They ask for a loaf of bread. They ask for bread, you don't give them a stone, Jesus said. They ask for a fish, you don't give them a viper. Fathers, by nature, somewhere deep within themselves, love their children. They seek to guide them away from troubles. They seek their happiness. They, They provide for them. They protect them and they mentor them. 
one of the most beautiful and true pictures, this is number five, of the father is the story of the prodigal son. You know that well. And we see that story as a failed son who sought independence from his father and his rules and his discipline. And yet the story is really of the father whose heart longed for his child, willed him back, welcomed him back. My son, he said, who was dead is now alive. And here we see the father's heart. How like Father Jacob. You remember that story as well. When he was reunited with Joseph after years of mourning, thinking his son was dead, and he ends up in Egypt, and there is Joseph, his son. And what joy there was for Jacob at that point. And how like Father Abraham receiving Isaac off that altar of sacrifice. Only a father can know that emotion. That's Father's Day. It's not Mother's Day. I'm not saying mothers have no emotions, but, but we're talking about fathers. So, so Father Abraham, so Abraham, the father of the faithful, and he's called that because of this sacrifice. He takes his son, his only son, and he takes him up to the mount where God has appointed him, and he has the wood, and he has the fire. He has all the things necessary to sacrifice unto God. And his son says to him, Father, Here's the wood, here's the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And all in all, all along, Abraham knew that Isaac was the sacrifice. And you remember as he placed him upon there and was about to sacrifice him to God, God stopped him. And there was a ram that was caught in the thicket. Because Abraham had said to Isaac, God will provide himself the sacrifice. And so here was the ram caught in the thicket. And so so Isaac has taken off that altar of sacrifice, and, and the ram caught in the thicket is put there, and it dies in Isaac's place. And then we fast forward several hundred years, a couple thousand years almost. And we, we, in that same area, and there is a, there is a, a orchard. There is, there is a place where Jesus has gone to pray, the Mount of Olives. And, and he goes into Gethsemane and to pray, and he said, Father, if this cup can be removed from me. And he prays that three times, and then, then he goes to the cross. And in this case, there was no thicket, a ram caught in the thicket. There was no substitute as there was for Isaac, for Christ himself was that substitute. And as Abraham, with great joy, received his son back to himself, what what sorrow was upon the father's heart as his son went to the cross, ordained to go there. Or went to the cross, and nobody came, nobody came to take his place because he was taking our place. This is what the Father did. And if all of this, this emotion that we have in those fathers who have lost a son, all that emotion and multiplied through all the tenses of holiness, 
must God have felt? And what did he feel when his son said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As his son was taken to the place where, where he was, where he, whatever judgment is like, whatever eternity in hell is like, whatever that is like, that total separation from God himself, the son experienced that. But he experienced on my behalf and your behalf if you are in Christ. That's the whole of the gospel, as you know. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And so he comes. Only a father understands that emotion, I think. And if we take away, if we could take away all of our sin, if we could take away all of our biases and all of our hardness and all of the things that, that, are, that befall us because we're sinners after Adam, then we would be able to see perfectly what the Father is or who the Father is. The Father is seen in the Son. If you have, and I'm not going to go into this, we will run out of time. Look at John 17, 1 to 26. And, and, and just see that prayer, the Son to the Father, Great High Priestly Prayer of Christ. Read that, fathers especially, this afternoon. Number six. And whatever, whatever grounds Jesus prayed that prayer in John 17, when he prayed and he fellowshiped with the Father, when he prayed in great agony in Gethsemane, we kneeled with him if we are in Christ at that point. He was doing that not because he was a sinner, but because we were sinners. And he was going to be our substitute. And so we were woven into the whole purpose and subject as though we were there. He represented us. In that verse, and I just want to say this in passing. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for all those who believe in me through their word. That's us. And then there's a wonderful passage. And, and, and the, it is the answer to sorrow that's even in our congregation here today. Why they leave us, the empty part of our life. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world think when Jesus prays that prayer concerning any one of us, his sheep, that prayer is answered personally at that particular time. I said there's been a conspiracy to destroy men as men and fathers as fathers because of this, of of mankind or, or fathers were to be a reflection of the father. We didn't invent God, God created us. And, and the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Father, we are given that responsibility, that look, that image that was his. And yet in our particular day, and I'm just going to go through this very quickly, 
Uh, we have this conspiracy to destroy men as men and fathers as fa- fathers. We, there's the feminizing of the American male that's gone on. So that if you were my age and you knew the great generation and those that followed were mentored by them, you would see that the fathers of today, not all of them, but the fathers of the day are drastically different. And the men of the day are drastically different from, from those people. The restructuring of the human father away from any reflection of our heavenly father in provision and protection, husband, father, man. hundred years ago, that's in your little sheet here. We're going to go through this quickly. One, two pages, gone almost. The word father is defined in the 1913 Webster's Dictionary of the English language. That's not a theological dictionary. It's a dictionary that was the the main dictionary in in our American culture 100 years ago, and it continued on. It It was published well after that. One of, it speaks of who, definition of a father. One who has begotten a child, whether son or daughter, a generator, a male parent, and then they use Proverbs 10.1 as proof of that. Webster's Dictionary. Why son maketh a glad father. And then he says in the second one, a male ancestor more remote than a parent, especially a first ancestor, a founder of a race or family. In the plural, fathers, ancestors, David slept with his fathers, first kings. Abraham, who is the father of us all, Paul says in Romans 4. Then again, one who performs the offices of a parent by maintenance, affectionate care, counsel, or protection. He is a father who takes care of people in a fatherly way. And he quotes Job, who was defending himself when he said, I was a father to the poor. I cared for them. I protected them. I took care of them. And then Joseph said, he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house. Next one, a respectful mode of address to an old man. I don't expect anyone to call me father other than my sons, but a respectful mode of address to an old man. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him, that is, to Elisha, Second Kings, and said, O oh, my father, my father. I have to hit these other two. One who... Or that which gives origin, an originator, a producer, author, contriver, and the father of all such as handle the heart, quoting from Genesis 4. There again, the Webster Dictionary. Supreme being, number seven, which is uh, note number seven dash F in your uh, sheet. The supreme being and creator, God in theology the first person in the Trinity, Trinitarian, a Trinitarian cultural dictionary, our Father which art in heaven. And so we close the dictionary, we look at number eight, and another picture of the Father was shown in the illustrations in the magazines of that particular day. We have up on a glass, I think, back, no, up on a chart, and I don't I didn't have one here with me, you're all familiar with the with Norman Rockwell, aren't you? And I, I made a few of these up. Norman Rockwell was an illustrator. Now we have the language, and then we also have the art 
Uh, and another picture of the father was shown in the illustrations and magazines during the first 70 years of the 20th century. Norman Rockwell was one of the well-known artists of that time. He painted the character of the 20th century culture. He showed it, and we agreed. Nobody disagreed. Yeah, we made, this makes sense, all these things on the back. This is, this is, a, this is a father in action. The pictures are up out back there. At the same time, at the same time, modern art began to push out visual art as language. Number nine, like language, art is successful only when it communicates. Art must speak. Abstract art has no truth to convey, so it was formless and left the mind to see its own form, exactly as it is with language. What is truth, we're asked today? In the new millennial view, it is anything you believe it to be, except if you believe there is truth. And then that is heresy, and certainly against our cultural political correctness. How appropriate is the story of the emperor's new clothes as a necessary teaching tool to this generation? Note number 10. The destruction of the image of the father in the fathers of today shuts off a visual representation of God's care as well as his authority. Almost every sitcom in the last 20, 30 years, maybe a little bit longer, probably 20 years, has shown the father is dumb, inept, crude, and the mother is wise and resourceful, thus being the only adult. And sadly, that is what has happened in our homes today. Given all, the, given all of the Father's attributes away, so that there is no connection when we say, Our Father which art in heaven, and the mind goes to, uh, to a, an inept father or a male figure who may or may not even be in the home. I thought about I thought about the mentors of today. What's, what's, what, is, what are our young men being taught? Who are, are the teachers? And we, we have these problems, not only in our inner cities, but great problems in the inner cities and now spreading out elsewhere. Because there's not fathers in the home. There's not fathers to mentor them, to show them what men ought to be. The mentors of today are violent games and pornography that leave nothing to the imagination, rather feel the most debased nature of man rather than going in and trying to mentor man and, and, to, and to teach young men how to be men and then fathers. And who is better off for all of these changes that have been made? Are the women better off today than they were in the 50s? Someone said that was the other thing I thought. Someone, well, you know, leave it to Beaver. That, that uh, uh, Ward Cleaver was, you know, that never was that way. Yes, it was. Some of us remember that, don't we? Our dads may not have come home every night with a suit on, but they came home every night. And when they came home, we knew where the authority figure was, but we also knew the person who would give anything for us and would help us. Are the women better off today? Are the children better off today? Is a culture better off today than it was now that we've removed all restraints? 
Is our nation better off? Is the economy better off? In today's generation, the fact of God as Father is not a picture that men can relate to. I was going to say some things about conscience. We'll pass over that. So what does that bring us? We're in a congregation here. We're, we're just about ready to be uh, dismissed in prayer. We're, we're, we, we, we think about these things. We honor our fathers. Uh, right after this service, many of you are taking your fathers or remembering your fathers or, or doing something uh, along that line to honor our fathers as we have our mothers last month. So where does that leave us as a Christian congregation? Are we in great despair? Are we because the culture has gone south and, and it is not the culture that it was when I was growing up and, and, and things are changing drastically, not in any way that I can see for the better. But we have, as a church, we have as believers the scriptures which gives us light. And perhaps the light that the scriptures give us intensify the things that are going on as far as our sight of these things going on around us. And we not only have the scriptures, but we have the one who dwells among us, who is the Shekinah glory that has come upon the church. We have the Holy Spirit who takes this live word word of God and applies it to us and encourages us in the fact that this corruptible has not yet put on incorruption. This mortal has not yet put on immortality. So therefore what's happening around us and even in the times within us is going to all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. We have the view of God as our Father because we have the teaching of Christ. We have have Christ living within us. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's the Father like? Look at Jesus Christ in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit brings to us and gives us understanding of. We have the confidence that comes to a child whose dad stands between them and destruction, and that our Heavenly Father does. He knows what you need better than you know. And we have one in the Father because we see this in the scriptures that we can run to and we can hide behind, be comforted by his presence and hear all the precious promises from his lips. And the book is filled with those precious promises. And he is one that we can come home to. The name of the title of the sermon got off a little base, but Father Knows Best. You remember there was a show about that TV. The Father knows best, and he always does best. He has the means to do best. He has the means to do all that he desires to do, all that he purposes. And he's done that in Jesus Christ. Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Father's best work is adopting sons and daughters, which we are there. I close with verses that we have already spoken together, which we have memorized and repeat in worship here every week. They're holy words about the Holy Father, and when spoken in full knowledge of their truth, give us great insight into the Father and our dependence on him and confidence in him. 
If you were to note your little note sheet, I found this in last week, I think it was, in, a, in an old book that I bought, and it was a little outline on the Lord's Prayer. Look at that real quickly. The spirit of the Lord's Prayer is beautiful. And think about this, it's all about the Father. The form of the petition breathes a filial spirit, that is, Father. It's a Catholic spirit. We know that that means universal. It's a, a Catholic spirit, our Father. Jesus prayed, my Father. They said, well, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, say, our Father. It's corporate. It's a reverential spirit that is, hallowed be thy name, the Father. It's a missionary spirit. Thy kingdom come. It's a It's an obedient spirit. Thy will be done on earth. We want to be part of that will that's done on earth. It's it's also a spirit that desires him to come back because we we recognize that only at the return of Christ will his will be done perfectly. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. If my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight. But then he promises to come back and to establish his kingdom and to be established among his people. A dependent spirit, give us this day our daily bread. That's where it comes from. We look to our earthly fathers for these things. We look to our heavenly father as well. It's a forgiving spirit, and forgive us our or trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And it's a cautious spirit. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it's a confidential and adoring spirit. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, you've given us earthly fathers. Uh, Some have measured up more than others, and yet they were our fathers. We're thankful for that. We're thankful that you have given us other mentors in our lives as well, other fathers, other mothers, other people, other Christians who have walked in this way that you have ordained for them to walk in, this this pathway and pilgrimage of holiness. And for that, we praise you as well. We pray for everyone in this congregation today that that somehow in their minds, in their heart, they would understand and do understand and have understood all the gospel is about. That That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their sins unto them, but imputing those sins unto Christ himself. And so we rest upon him for our eternal salvation and for our knowledge of God the Father. So bless us individually, our families, as we meet together this day. Bless each, bless this church, our congregations. May your name be glorified in the midst of this world that you have placed us in. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.